So tonight we're starting with um, overcoming financial fear, and then next week we'll speak about finding financial freedom. Some of you would like to have both of those. Not financial fear, overcoming it, yeah? And then to find financial freedom. Does that sound good? All right. Now, uh, tonight we are extremely privileged to have Donnie the toy with us. Uh, he's married to his son, and he's going to introduce his family just now. But Donnie leads our Linwood congregation, and um, I joke, I know that I'll, I'll make the joke first before you can say it, but it's not really a joke that if I wasn't leading this church, I would probably be in Donnie's team. Um, I personally, Donnie, really look up to you just as a mentor, um, someone in the way that you love Jesus, the way that you love your family, but a wholehearted commitment towards the purposes of God. Um, and something that I deeply appreciate about you is the way that you're willing to invest your life into many avenues that will bear no fruit into your immediate circumstances, that you're really someone that's willing to sacrifice a lot for the sake of the kingdom, and we really honor you. Um, so friends, those of you who know Donnie, I know that you're really excited that he's preaching tonight. Those of you who don't, you will be afterwards, um, but let's give Donnie a hand as he comes to the stage. So I'm just going to pray for you. Um, Father, we thank you just for Donnie's life, Lord. We thank you for the word that you've placed on Donnie's heart, Lord. And we just come and pray now, Lord, for every single one of us, for a receptiveness towards the word that's being preached tonight. We pray for a, a deep openness, Lord, to hear the very things that you have prepared for us to hear tonight. We come and almost just stand against any barrier, anything that might hinder the word to be preached. And we thank you, Father, that, that you are faithful and that your word will not return void, and it will be much fruit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. So just also from my side, Yaku, thank you for those kind words. Do you and Riet? Uh, we actually used to be professional colleagues uh, working together. Um, it's an honor just to be invited, but also I just want to honor the two of you for leading and le also leading well. Uh, with your birthday, your 21st, congratulations. Please share with me afterwards how you get it right that you are called the CEO. Um, so behind me, you will see my family. So give me the opportunity to quickly introduce my family. I actually don't know what the campus does. Can somebody just quickly shout, is this a place for, of creativity? Uh, Centurion Academy, what do you guys do here? They do a lot. They do what? A lot. Art. No, a lot. A lot. Yeah. So hopefully art is one of them. So there's this saying that a picture uh, speaks a thousand words. If we can get a picture, then there will be words. The, if there's no picture, there's no words. This thing just gave us a little bit of a hiccup, but it's, it will listen. It will listen. Listen, Linda. Go for it. It's coming. It's coming. Not... Should I leave my family out of it? <laughs> I'll sort it out. Okay. You, yeah. So whilst we wait for my family to show up, um, let me also just introduce Zach. Zach is part of the Linwood team. Um, by night, he is a full-time chemical engineer. Uh, and by day, he is full-time ministry staff at Linwood. He's recently joined us. Um, just sense the call of the Lord on his life. Um, so both Zach is also married. Both him and his wife... Uh, I have just um, committed 
to a journey of, of um, walking with the road to be prepared to go and plant churches. So if you've been part of this family and this is your family, you know that we, we plant churches and campus ministries all over the world. And how do we do that? We raise leaders. And so this is one of those leaders that you will soon be praying for, soon be seeing either leading Linwood so I can go uh, or be sent. Um, and so that's also why he's here tonight. It's, uh, you know, um, raising up leaders is something that you are intentional with. It's not just something that happens. Um, so he's been here since three o'clock this afternoon, just when my family comes up, um, just learning. And um, so also just to him, welcome. Are we winning? Almost. All right, let me introduce my family. You'll see the picture. So um, it was amazing when Yaku phoned me to say, to come and preach or ask me to come and preach here because it's always good to be with your, your peers, those that are of the same age as you. Um, so it's great to be just with people that are uh, of the same age uh, as I am. Um, in saying that, I've been married to this beautiful lady sitting here in France, whose son, uh, we've been married for 21 years, um, saying that I'm the same age as you guys. Um, is it up? There's my amazing family. So a picture says or tells a thousand words. And in that one picture, you can see many stories. Um, so firstly, obviously, uh, married to my wife, as I said, 21 years. I've got two daughters. The one on, on my right-hand side is hymna. It is a Latin for the English word hymn. Uh, and my daughter on my right is Monet. And then our son is Umpilwe. Monet means love. Umpilwe is gift of God. Now, here's the first story. In 2015, uh, I like to do crazy things. So running comrades is one of them. Went down to Durban, spent some time with my wife for the weekend. On our way back, I asked her a very important question. Are we okay and will we be okay the day that our children, our two daughters, leave our home? Because many a times, couples only start asking that question when the kids have left home. And then sometimes it's too late because then they find that they are not okay. Um, and so that's why we adopted. <laughs> no, that's not why we adopted. So here's the first true honest story. The doctors told us that we will not be able to have children. Those two daughters are our own flesh and blood. And the son that you see there is our spiritual blood the son that God has added to our family last year, October. And so where does this come from? Both the son and I, before we even were married, uh, just the sense in our heart that uh, one day we will adopt. And so obviously there was, a, there was a period of preparation, but also, unfortunately for us, a period of not being obedient. Uh, and up until about five years ago, the Lord clearly spoke to us again. Um, so why do we even contemplate to adopt? Well, here's a question back to you. Whom have you prayed about coming to church tonight? Lord, should I go to church, yes or no? Good, I didn't think so. Whom have you prayed about uh, whether you should pray? Whom have you prayed whether you should read your Bibles? So these are not stupid questions. These are just things that we do because the Bible says, do not neglect the gatherings of the saints. The Bible says, when you pray, the Bible says, uh, that His Word is a lamp upon our feet. We need to study the Word. Here's another thing. The Bible also says and instructs the church, of which we are the church, to care for the orphans. And so we did not pray about adopting. 
we prayed about where we should get involved in. For us, the case was to physically bring a child into our home, to make part of our family. And so to some of you, it might be to be involved financially, it might be different for each one of us. But it's not about praying, about being involved. That is a command. And so being disobedient means you are not in right standing with the Lord. Uh, and so, what a wonderful young man. Uh, it is great to have a bit more testosterone in our house. <laughs> I struggled for many a years. Um, so it's my privilege to just um, start this sermon series to speak about overcoming fear uh, in, in just your journey with finances. Um, and so this is not an unfamiliar topic to me. So the past 19 years, up until the last three months, so up until June, uh, I was full-time employed at the University of Pretoria. So I've not been full-time in ministry for the past 19 years. And so for part of that 19 years, I was part of of what is called the High Performance Center, the Olympic Training Center, TUX. And then six years ago, I was asked um, by the medical faculty to start a medical research company, uh, which I did. And so I've headed up this company uh, for the past five years. And there's a reason why I share this. So last year, April, uh, Retief Berger, that used to lead the church, handed leadership over to me. And it took me nine months you need to hear this, to overcome the fear in my life of stepping out of what is comfortable, what is known to me, but also just the place of being financially secure and knowing that I am okay. Fifteen years away from retiring, two daughters, one on her way to study in a year's time, those were the things that kept me, the fear of letting go, the fear of not being in control, the fear of waking up and not being totally sure if all the bills are covered uh, and, you know, I can pay for my kids to go and study. Now, we all have this, this feeling that you get from just the sense that um, that first salary check for many of you that's coming, that first employment, uh, or the ability just to pay your bills, to buy the food, to buy clothes, to buy your first card, just that security of, I'm actually okay. But here's the thing, and this is what I've realized just in this, this journey in the last nine months, that that specific place where you find yourself, when you say to yourself, I'm okay is the exact breeding ground for fear and anxiety in the area of finances. And I'm going to share about that from the Word. Um, but before we do so, I want you to pray. As we're going to open our Bibles, I want you by yourself to pray the following prayer. Lord, why don't you just open up my spirit? Why don't you just quiet down my spirit? And Father, I pray for a humble heart to really accept your Word tonight. Can you pray that quickly? Jesus, thank you that we can open your word tonight, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us, that you are called our counselor, our teacher. And so as we open the word tonight, Father, we come and lay down just our pride. We come and lay down before you any emotions of maybe anxiety. 
uncertainty and fear about this specific topic. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be the one that just opens the word up to us tonight and makes it alive in us tonight. We receive your word, Father, with humble hearts in the name of Jesus. So you can open up your Bibles with me or your phones. As you can see, I'm part of the new generation. You can open your Bibles with me. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation is the book just behind Moses. It is the last book in the Bible for those of you that are still struggling. Revelation. Revelation 3. We're going to go to verse 14. Good. We go. I'm going to read for us. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some of your translations would say vomit. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are rich, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothed yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and self to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and I discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so let me just give you some context into the scripture uh, and then it will start making sense to you. Um, this is the last letter of seven letters that was sent to seven different congregations in the province that is today known as Turkey, Asia Minor. And so the book of Revelation starts with the, the purpose of the book. Jesus speaking to John, the one that, that, that wrote the book Revelation. He says, the intention of this book is to reveal myself to you, to the churches. And so he instructs him to write seven letters. And these seven letters were passed on through the different churches. And the last church is the one that we read about now, Laodicea. So here's the thing. This city, the economy boomed. It was the banking center of the region. It was well known for just black garment, a specific black garment that was only found in the city. Uh, it was made from just black sheep's wool that was around the city. So people would come from far and wide to come and buy the specific black garments. It was also well known for medicine. It, was the, it, was, it had a university, a medical university, based in the city, and specifically well known for a salve that was made for ice. So again, people would come from far and wide to come and buy just this salve, this ointment, uh, to treat their eye disease. And so if you want to compare it, Laodicea was very much the, the modern-day New York of its time. It was the wealthiest city 
in that region. So to be able to stay in the city meant that you were able to afford it. Because you can imagine just the price of houses and things. And apart from that, being able to afford it, you also enjoy just everything that this city just offered you. If you have to translate that, modern-day malls, you know, uh, car dealerships, you had the ability to stay there, but you also had the ability financially to enjoy everything that this city uh, was giving you. So just to prove the affluence in the city, I'm going to just share two, two things quickly, again, just to help you with the context. So in AD 17, the whole region was struck with a, uh, a great earthquake, and this city was destroyed. And so the emperor in Rome sent a message to Laodicea to say, we will help you financially just to rebuild the city. And so these people were so affluent that the response was the following, no, thank you. We don't need your help. Help is for those that are in need and need help. And that is not us. And so they built, rebuilt the city themselves. So Ephesus, it's another big city. It's actually a bigger city. Close to Laodicea, inhabitants of Ephesus was about 240,000 people. And so in Ephesus, you find one theater. If you go there today, you see the remains of one theater only. Laodicea on the other side had 40,000 people, but two theaters. Why? Gave them the bragging right of the rich and famous. But here's the thing about the city. to add one problem. Nowhere in a close range around the city, they had natural water. So they had no water supply. So what they had to do is to construct pipelines from a source miles away just to transport water to the city. Now you can think of Turkey today. It's a very hot region. So where, by the time that this water reached the city, it was lukewarm. It was tippet. And so the origin where they got their water from, this water was also filled with specific minerals that colored the water, that made it taste awful, so much so that when you drank it, you literally became sick. So it's with this context that Jesus then uses the metaphors of the city and writes this letter via John to them. And so let's jump to verse 15, where it says, well, let me maybe also just, just share this. There was two cities next to uh, Laodicea, Colossi, and uh, Hierapolis. No, it's not a Harry Potter movie. It's a city. Hierapolis. All right. So Colossi uh, found their water. It had a natural just um, water that, they, that flowed down from the, the snowy mountains uh, as it melted into the city. They caught the water, nice, fresh, cold water. Uh, in today's day and time, again, they would have bottled it and sold it, water from the mountains. Um, and Heropolis on the other side, natural hot springs. And so verse 15 then carries on to say the following. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or, or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. If you go and study that in the, in the Greek, it says, I'm at that point to vomit you out of my mouth. So what Jesus is not saying to them is the following. So this letter is addressed to a church. 
This letter is addressed to Christians like us. You need to hear that. So what Jesus is not saying to them is, I wish you were hot, like the hot springs in Heropolis. You know, healing. You brought healing. Or I wish you were as cold, refreshing as the refreshing water in Colossae. No, what Jesus is saying to this church is, you remind me of your water. When I think of you, I become sick. Now, this is a very strong reproof for a church. And so, obviously, I would want to know why Jesus is at the point of vomiting out, metaphorically, a church. Why Jesus is at the point when he addresses a church, when he addresses a church, I felt, to say, you make me sick. So the very next verse tells us why he's saying that. Verse 17, it says the following. So why is he so hard on this church? Here's the reason. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Which also implied that they did not need Jesus. You see, this wealth that was found in just the homes, uh, even of those in the church, gave them this perceived belief that they didn't need anything, which included Jesus. You know, bigger car, bigger house, bigger office, just buy it. The affluence excluded Jesus from their lives. And this is an age-old problem. Jesus warns, or God actually warns His chosen people in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's read it quickly. The exact same thing of excluding Jesus because of what you have. This mindset of, I don't need anything. Look what God says about this in Deuteronomy 8 verse um, 7. Let's read it quickly. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Now listen to this. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. And this is the exact place where this church found themselves. This is the exact place. I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I need nothing. So let me just maybe clarify quickly. The issue in this letter is not riches. The issue in this letter is not wealth. Because it will also be biblically incorrect to think that it's wrong to be rich. It would be biblically incorrect to think that it's wrong to acquire wealth. If you understand the source, which we'll get to now. So what is the issue here? Three attitudes I want us to focus on just quickly. Three attitudes that we see. 
This is the attitudes that was found in the church. And these are the attitudes that made Jesus say these words. You make me sick. First one is I am rich. The attitude associated with that is a self-deceived attitude. Allowing oneself, this is the definition, allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalidated feeling, idea, or situation is true. So when they said, I am rich, they were actually lying to themselves. Physically, yes, maybe, but they were without Jesus because Jesus found them outside of the church. We'll get to that. So they were measuring their riches based on what they had physically. But if you go and study Matthew 6, you will see where God says, Acquire for yourself wealth and riches in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy it. Because what we have here is but partially, part-time. It too will disappear one day. In Proverbs 13, verse 7, it says the following, Some pretend to be rich, but yet they are poor. Others pretend to be poor, but yet they are rich. There's this famous quote, you know, the good things in life is actually for free. I don't agree with that. Good things in life comes from Jesus. Good things in life is found in Jesus. And so this church deceived themselves to think that they are rich when actually they were poor spiritually. The source of life was not part of the church. I want to read you this just quickly. Just this last words of a famous billionaire. And no, it is not the man, Steve Job himself. It's another one. His famous words on his bed says the following. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth um, that I took so much pride in have failed and become meaningless in the face of impeding death. In the darkness, I took, I look at the green lights from the life-supporting machines and hear the humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of God of death drawing closer. I know when we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. Should be something that is important. Look how lost this guy is. Perhaps relationships, perhaps art, perhaps a dream from your younger days. But listen to this. Non-stop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. And this wealthy billionaire died a poor man. He died without Jesus. First attitude that makes Jesus sick. A self-deceived attitude. A second one is a self-satisfying attitude. I have acquired wealth. What does it mean to say a self-satisfied attitude? The definition is the following. To be excessively satisfied with one's achievements or with oneself. To be excessively proud of one's achievements or oneself. We all know that one person. 
by the second word he has spoken about himself. You see, achievements, again, is not an issue. Achievements is not an issue. Achievements and the wrong side of this attitude is when the source of your achievements is not the center of your praise. Just ask Judas, the story of Judas. His achievement, financial wealth. What did he do to acquire that? He physically denied Christ. He physically gave up Christ. Not recognizing the source of your achievements is what's wrong in this picture. You see, the channel where you receive your resources from may differ from person to person. Teacher, an engineer, a taxi driver, a pastor, a manager, a student. Where you get your resources from, the channel differs. So teacher from the government or the school governing body, a taxi driver from people that gets into the taxi. So the channel that your income comes from may differ. That may differ in size. But the source is the same for everyone. Do you agree? Well, let me share it with you quickly. Don't want you to put up that next scripture because I want people to read it for themselves. You can open your phones with me. We're going to go to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Two Corinthians nine verse ten says the following: He who supplies, read it with me. One two three. Oh, let's go again. One two three. He who supplies. Who's the he? God. He God that supplies two things: seed to the sower to sow will also supply bread for him to eat. He is the source. Of everything. And so fear exists because we take that place in our lives where we think that I need to supply. That provision for my family depends on me, which is what I've been struggling with for the past nine months. I have built this life over 19 years. I have built this life over 19 years. And because of this wrong understanding, that fear exists because I also know that I cannot sustain it. It is by not understanding and recognizing and believing in the source that fear exists. He supplies seed. He gives you the ability to be a blessing unto the world. What is the answer to poverty in this country? The church. Who's the church? Us. What is the answer to orphans in this country? The church. Who's the church? Us. What is the answer to looking after widows in this country? The church. Go and read it in your Bible. He gives seed for you to sow. But then listen to this. He also gives you bread, your daily needs. And so this differs from person to person. And in His sovereign will, He decides how that looks 
for each person. But He is the source. Have you ever seen a bird, Matthew 6, have you ever seen a bird flying around anxious or a lion? Have you been to the Kruger Park? Just don't say zoo. <laughs> the Kruger Park, because there they have to catch their own food. All right? I've seen many anxious lions there. You know? I'm anxious. Where's my next one come from? No. Why? They function in the perfect will of creation. Understanding that yes, they have to go out. They have to fly around. Lion, do you know Statistically approved, uh, uh, proved, statistically proved that a lion nine out of ten times misses his catch. Nine out of ten seen an anxious lion. Because in creation they understand they're part of creation. And that there is a creator, the source of everything that was put in place. And so as human beings, we are the only ones that are not acting according to creation. Because we want to take the place of the Creator and become Lord of our own lives, become Lord of our finances, become Lord of our provision. Second attitude, self-satisfying attitude. The last one, I need nothing. It points to a self-sufficient attitude, meaning the following, needing no outside help in satisfying one's basic needs. And I believe that the Western church is resembled in that one attitude. We don't need anything. Go to Europe and go and try and speak to somebody about the Lord. They will tell you, hang on, just look around you. Just look around you quickly. Education system, it's working. Traffic, it's working. Government, working. Why would we need Jesus in our lives? What would change in our lives? Everything is working. Just come a bit closer. Why would we need Jesus? Whether I pray for my food or clothes, I get a salary every month. I can pay for it. That is the attitude I'm talking about here. A self-satisfying attitude, thinking, I need nothing. Which again, just proves that you do not understand who the source is of everything that you have. You see, COVID, many negative things that we can say and many, you know, many theories about bats and Spider-Man and Superman, China. But COVID has come to expose this act attitude in the church specifically. COVID has come to expose this in our society. Suddenly, your money cannot buy you health. Suddenly, businesses are closing down. Some of you sitting here might have been retrenched. Unfortunately, just before I, had, I left the company, I had to retrench people. It is not a, it is not a pleasant thing to go through. But in this moment, we see that we too need help. We need a Savior. So what made Jesus say that you make me sick, you make me think of your water, is the fact that this church excluded Jesus from their lives. And so if you go back to finances 
and we think of finances? Why fear? Why does fear exist? Why does anxiety exist? It's because of these three attitudes. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 18. Let me just go back there. Revelation 3 verse 18. This is what Jesus says to this church. I counsel you. I'm giving you advice. So maybe you're sitting here tonight and you can identify with one of these three attitudes. So this word is for you. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. They had all the gold. So why is Jesus saying to them, buy from me gold refined by fire? So that you may be rich. They said they are rich, but he's saying to them, so that you may be rich. And white garments, they had black garments, luxurious black garments, sought after. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And self to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, if we see, if we read anywhere in the Bible, it speaks about gold refined by fire. Throughout the word, it speaks about perseverance through trials and tribulations. Gold refined by fire speaks about a godly character. In Romans 5 uh, verse 4, it says, And he who perseveres, that keeps on holding on to truth, no matter what happens, he perseveres. In him will form godly character. And godly character leads to hope. Are you hopeless? Because if you've acquired gold refined by fire from the Savior, from Jesus, you will find in him hope. Because our character should be one of I am not worried. I'm not anxious. I am not fearful because I serve a living God, the one that holds everything together in his hands. And where one door closes, another one opens. And there was a reason why I shared my testimony because I don't want you to sit there and think, yeah, but you don't know my situation. Now I do. The current salary I earn that I have to raise is 60% less than I got out after tax before I resigned. And three months later, we have lacked nothing. For nine months, I was fearful. In three months, the Lord has just showed me again how little my faith was. Buy from me white garments. White garments refers to just uh, his righteousness, purity, being in right standing with God. So he speaks about character, and then he says, don't look, don't wear, don't dress, don't act like the world. Be righteous, be in right standing with me. You, the world is upside down. You stand in faith, in hope, and you look different, and you speak different, and you do not become fearful and anxious. And the eyes anointed with self, buy from himself, so that you may see, speaks about the grace, abounding grace that is found in Jesus, abounding grace that is lavished on us, that call Him our Lord and Savior. Jesus ends this letter, and I want us to, just to go there again, and I'm going to end off with this. Jesus ends the letter with the following. It's an amazing he starts this letter by telling this church how sick they're making. And he, and he puts his finger right into that sore. 
But then he ends off a letter in love. In love. So maybe you're sitting there tonight and what you should not hear and experience is an angry father. But what you should see is the truth that he's exposing to you. But listen to his love. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is outside of the church. He has not turned his back on this church. He's standing outside of the church and he's knocking. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking. You see, supper in that time, the most important meal of the day. It's not our TV suppers that we are accustomed to today. Supper was a deep, intimate fellowship time. So when Jesus is saying to them, I'm standing and I'm knocking at your door, he's inviting them to a deep, intimate fellowship relationship with him. But here's the thing. Why is he not kicking down the door? Why is the God of heaven knocking patiently when he has the ability to break down doors? You see, it takes a human that becomes humble, that repents of pride. It takes a humble heart. It takes a humble spirit to say, I need help. It takes a humble heart and a humble spirit to open the door to hands that are standing open to help. A prideful heart responds to say, I don't need help. And so Jesus is knocking on our doors. And so there's two variations to this knocking. In the church world, we tend to use it to talk about salvation, and that's true. So maybe you're sitting here tonight, and I've spoken about the source of life, Him being the Creator, Him being the beginning of everything. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, but I have not made that decision yet in my life. I have not welcomed in the Lord of Lords into my life. I have not made Him of my life, meaning laying down everything and obeying Him. You, I'm saying tonight, Jesus is not. And He's inviting you to a deep, intimate fellowship, relationship with Him. One where He wants to dine with you, where He wants to care for you, where He wants to build into you godly character, clothe you with righteousness, open your eyes so that you can see beyond the physical. But then there's the side of this letter and this specific phrase knocking on the door because he's speaking to the church and he's speaking to Christians like you and I, me. And so Jesus is saying to us tonight, maybe when I just shared those three attitudes, maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you have taken the place of the source. You have taken the place of Jesus Christ, the one that is ultimately and only the provider. Maybe you find yourself at that place tonight where you're anxious and fearful 
And this is a result because of Jesus not being Lord and the center of your life. Maybe you're sitting there tonight and when you think of your wallet, empty or full doesn't really matter. You hold on to this like this. Which is a sign of somebody that is in control and very anxious and fearful. So Jesus is asking us tonight when he knocks, open up. Allow me again to take the throne of finances, of provision in your life. And allow me to to bless you with seed to sow. And allow me to bless you with bread to eat. I just want to close your eyes. I want you to respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray now, but maybe let me just... When I go to that first group, Jesus is knocking on your door. You have never come to the place where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that is you, just quickly raise your hand and you can put it down again. I just want to pray with you. Anybody here tonight? Jesus is knocking. He's inviting you to fellowship, deep, intimate relationship. Just raise your hand and put it down. Thank you, I see that. Anybody else? Father, thank you that we can just pray together now. And I want you just to pray with me. Jesus, thank you that tonight I can open the door of my life. And I can invite you in as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, tonight I come and I confess just my sins to you and I lay down my life before you and I declare that you are Lord of my life in the name of Jesus Jesus is knocking at your door and I'm talking to the rest of us now don't you just want to respond to him by opening the door if the scripture has spoken to you in the area of overcoming fear in your finances. Maybe yours is the attitude of self-deceived attitude. I am rich. A self-satisfying attitude. I have prospered. I have acquired. A self-sufficient attitude. I'm going to give you time just by yourself now to pray and lay that down. band can come forward so long. Father, thank you that we can just come before you tonight. Thank you that I can stand here tonight 
as a son who have received your forgiveness. And I want to say to you tonight, in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we truly confess our sins, our iniquities to God, the Bible says He is faithful and just and He will forgive us. So if you've confessed tonight, don't take any weight upon you. Jesus has forgiven you. He has set you free. And don't allow Satan to now speak into your spirit again. and says, but you have to do this. You have to take it upon yourself again. You have been set free. So I'm inviting you just to stand with me as we just end off with this song. Father, thank you that we can just say, Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision in our lives. And thank you, Father, that we know that we know that you look after the birds in the air and you clothe the lilies of the field. And how much more us. And so tonight, Jesus, we choose to believe in you as the provider. And we declare by faith that we know that we know you have the ability to provide. You have the ability to give seed and bread. And so we declare by faith, Satan, that you no longer have a hold on this aspect in our life. In the name of Jesus, amen.